0: Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Friday, February 23rd edition of the Basement Academy. I want to dive right into our morning psalm, I think the morning reflection, the response to a very good and challenging question. I I think I want to be able to get at that quickly, but I also think this psalm, Psalm 23, is what I've chosen today, speaks to this question in in my response, I think in some wonderful ways. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know the psalm. You love the psalm. I think it speaks to what we're going to be thinking about today. Uh, Let me just remind you to keep praying your prayers, Friday prayers for family ministry. And I do invite you to submit questions. Thanks to those who've done it already. They have answered some varied questions, right? We've heard that. I have several more to address next week. Would welcome your, your questions. But I turn to a question today that is challenging, but it's in the context of our denominational Realignment conversation. So, part of the denominational realignment process will involve providing a monetary blessing to the presbytery should we be released to another denomination. Based on some of our congregational meetings, there are some strong opinions around what the amount of that blessing should be. Side note, that's an understatement. There are definitely strong opinions. (laughs) What does God tell us our responsibilities are when it comes to blessing others with money? So there's a question. What does God tell us our responsibilities are when it comes to blessing others with money? Okay, so that's the first question. Second, do we have an obligation to be shrewd or, or even responsible with money that we are using to bless others? So it's maybe a stewardship question. Does being concerned about money we are using to bless others signal a weakness of one's faith in God's provision, wisdom, or omnipotence? So if I'm questioning the amount, does that somehow reveal a lack of faith or something like that? That's how I'm taking that question. So all three questions I kind of want to bundle together. And the way I've put it on the whiteboard here, if you're listening, you don't see the whiteboard, but it says... On the financial implications of denominational realignment. These questions are speaking or they're asking about the financial implications of denominational realignment. There are strong opinions, and those strong opinions, I think, reveal something about our views, our beliefs and I would even say our character. And so I I, want to try to answer the questions maybe a little differently, not just one, two, three, but with a a reflection on these these matters. And I want to do so in the context of metanoia, this call to repentance, this sermon we just preached last Sunday, preach again, this Lenten reflection, metanoia, repent, rethink, Re-examine, reframe the situation, see it differently. Let there be an aha moment. So I hope something I say in these next 15 or 20 minutes will lead to an aha experience for you. And I think they'll address the questions. I would offer to you that they you hold one of two views about the presbyterian church usa and the national capital presbytery you are going to either view the PCUSA as friends and family or you're going to view the PCUSA usa and the presbytery as foes and adversaries at, at, at the at bottom you have one of those two views these are Our family members, sisters and brothers in Christ, these are our enemies, they are against us and we should be against them. Now that's strong language, I realize. But I believe the key to getting at this, the money is what reveals our attitude or our understanding, our view, okay? If we see the Presbyterian Church USA, if we see the members of National Capital Presbytery that we're seeking to realign away from, if we see them as family and friends, if we see them in a collegial context, a relational context, we will see the money, any financial implication, as an opportunity to bless. Our families and our friendships, the network of relationships that we have, give us ample opportunities to use money as a means to bless them. We send wedding gifts, uh, we, we, we write checks for weddings, for graduations, for birthday gifts, for baby showers. We leave inheritances for our children and grandchildren. So in the context of a healthy relationship where we are in relationship, their family, their friends, we use money to bless people. We see the money as an opportunity to strengthen the relationship, to enhance the relationship, to allow our memory and our relationship with that person to be a positive thing. We all do this without even thinking about it. Now, are there times, oh, I feel obligated. I've got to send, you know, cousin Louie a, a gift. But wouldn't it be better to think of what an opportunity I have to send Cousin Louis a gift? So how we think about the money is going to reveal how we think about the person, about the relationship. And so the financial implications, so you know, the, the question is, what does God tell us our responsibilities are when it comes to blessing others with money? He says, bless them. Parents lay up for their children, the Scripture says. I I cited that Scripture yesterday. Parents lay up for children. (laughs) We we exchange our resources. We exchange money to 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 build and to grow and to reflect. That we're in relationship with people and there's opportunities. We invest, we we put some money up, you know, we we do fundraisers, we we do things like this to invest in communities and organizations and in relationships. Money is an opportunity to bless and strengthen and expand ministry uh, and, and, and livelihood. The flip side of it, though, is if you view the money. If you're viewing the financial implication as a bribe, as an extortion, as a ransom, as some kind of buyout or some kind of uh, demand that we an obligation, is is the money an opportunity or is it an obligation? Is this something we get to do to bless the Presbytery as we go? Or is it something we got to do and we better pay as little as possible? See, that's where the strong opinions come in. And I would offer for your consideration, I'm not trying to accuse, but I am trying to challenge. If you are thinking, I want to spend zero or as little as possible to those people, I think that's saying something about the attitude you have in your heart towards sisters and brothers in Christ. The National Capital Presbytery is comprised of Christians. (laughs) People who've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ may interpret Scripture in some places differently than you do, but that's already the case at Greenwich, right? So how we view the money, opportunity, obligation, reveals whether we view the relationship as friend or foe And then that says something about us. It says nothing about National Capital Presbytery and the members there. You don't even know those folks. (laughs) I know a number of people. And what I can tell you is these are good people who love Jesus, love the scriptures, love the church. And as I've said before, love us. They love Don Meeks, they love Eric Beckman, they love Greenwich by extension. They have a positive regard for Greenwich Presbyterian because of the positive regard they have for us, because the manner in which we have been collegial and have been supportive in relationship, even when we differ, and we do in, in many cases. And so what does, so the, the question, does being concerned about money we are using to bless others signal a weakness of one's faith in God's provision of wisdom or omnipotence? I don't know about that, but how we think about the money reveals something about our heart and our character. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If my treasure is in these relationships I have with our denomination, as colleagues, as friends, and family, then my treasure, my heart and treasure are gonna reflect that, right? If I view if my treasure is, I don't see these people as as uh worthy of blessing with money. <laughs> This is an obligation that I should pay as little as possible. I need to be shrewd. Then that also reflects something of your heart. That you're valuing money more than you are a relationship. That's what Jesus says when you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now... When we studied that last year, we studied in the context of Matthew's gospel, but Luke gives his own expression of that. He catches Jesus saying this in a different context about the two masters. And this is in the context of the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke chapter 16. So let me read this. It's gonna be a little lengthy and it's a little confusing, but the punchline is to die for, (laughs) or to live for, I guess I should say. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, so he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Ah, there's that word. For the people of this world, this is Jesus now, okay? For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, this is verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He goes on, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Wow. Okay, that's parable of the shrewd manager. Need to unpack that another day, but what I will tell you is, Jesus is commending the shrewdness of the manager for the way in which he thinks his way through the problem, the way he uses wealth to gain friends, to bless others. Well, you're saying, wait a second, the guy was dishonest. He he was cheating his master. Uh -uh -uh. Jesus told the story, not me. Jesus told this story, and he tells it to commend an aspect. Something's going on here. There is a shrewdness, but not the way perhaps the questioner asked the question of being shrewd. Should we hold on to money? Should we be good stewards of our money and not give it to those people? I have heard a number of folks at Greenwich talk about that over these last couple of years. We need to be good stewards of the money of Greenwich and of our own money and not give it to those people. I have replied in every situation, if we're interested in being good stewards, then at least we would all bring a tithe. And as we've outlined before, just did this yesterday, if we all tithe at Greenwich, the 285 households or whatever we are, our annual budget would be somewhere around $2.5 million, plus or minus. It's not because we're holding on to money. We're not tithing or giving more than Some of us could give more than 10% because the wealth that God has entrusted to us. So I point that out always. If we're interested in under the, the guise of good stewardship, we don't want to give money to the presbytery. I think that's bordering Pharisaic. It's bordering on this because the Pharisees loved money. So they sneered at this parable because Jesus uses the parable to drive to the point, you guys love money. He's commending the shrewd manager who understood money can gain friends. Money can bless others. Money is a way of uh, 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 greasing the skids, <laughs> of, of making sure relationships stay strong. I, I realize I'm interpreting the, the, the parable there. So he, here's, here's, here's where I think I want to land, um, and this answer may prompt some of you to ask me more questions, and you may not be happy with everything I'm saying right now. Can we see money as a means to an end? And can we choose to be wise? Can we be shrewd like this and use the money God's entrusted to us as individuals collectively as a church family as an opportunity to affirm sisters and brothers that we are in relationship with, with and will be in relationship with them for eternity? Now, some of you are saying, well, then why, do we, why even leave the denomination at all if they're such good friends? We do differ. We do differ in some areas. They know that, we know that, and we're trying to work our way through that. But people at Greenwich are hung up on the money. And they're hung up on the money because they don't want to spend money because I believe underneath it, ultimately viewing the Presbyterian Church USA and National Capital Presbytery as foes, as enemies, as adversaries. And so we're going into the conversation with our hands clutched tight. We are not going to let go of this money and we're we're not going to let go of it easy, that's for sure. I think that's the entire wrong way of looking at it. I would encourage if you see this as an adversarial relationship and an adversarial situation, let me invite you to metanoia, to reframe it, to rethink it The question shouldn't be, how can we give as little as possible? I think the question really should be, how can we give as much as possible? How could we bless the National Capital Presbytery? How could we bless them with so much money that they would go, whoa, whoa, you guys are crazy. I have proposed years ago to the session that we actually lead with the money. Let's just, it's going to all be about the money anyway. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what everybody's going to care about. So let's just get that up. Let's be Christians. Let's be disciples. Let's be shrewd. And let's lead with the money. So the shrewd manager in Luke 16, he gets something. And Jesus commends that. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Why don't we look at this financial op- implications of realignment as an opportunity to gain friends? <laughs> that's that's the metanoia. Some of us aren't going to be able to get there. I, I know some of us aren't going to be able to get there. But some of us might be able to get there and go, Oh my goodness, I have been looking at them as enemies. I've been looking at money as more important than a relationship. If money is more important than a relationship, then money is your God. That's what Jesus, that's not me, that's Jesus. You cannot serve God and money. (laughs) Because if you see that person as a neighbor, then that's a neighbor that God has given you to love. And so we love God by loving the neighbor. And we use worldly wealth to express and enhance that relationship and that friendship just like we do in our own families. Do you see it? Do you see it? And so the reality is all of us are tempted to the love of money. I'm the chief of offenders. All of us are tempted with the love of money. So let's just admit that. Let's repent. Let's acknowledge that uh, in this season of Lent. All of us are tempted to demonize other people who differ from us, whether it be political differences, ethnic differences, skin color differences, racial differences, the team I cheer for differences, or interpreting the Bible differences. All of us are tempted to demonize people we differ with. Because we think when we demonize them, I'm justified in hating them or separate. I could see, you know, I'm legitimately viewing them as an adversary. That's wrong. And all of us are tempted to cover up our subterfuge as an expression of faith. This is what the Pharisees did. God help us, keep us from being Pharisees. They looked at other people in a certain way and they covered it up with faith. They looked at Jesus healing on the Sabbath and thought they were honoring the traditions and so they had to come against Jesus. No, they were jealous of Jesus because he was viewed by them as a threat to their power, their privilege, their influence. They didn't care who he was. He certainly wasn't Messiah in their mind. And so, All of us are tempted to the love of money. All of us are tempted to demonize the neighbors God has given us. All of us are tempted to cover our demonizing and our love of money under the cloak of faith and good stewardship and responsibility. And I would offer to you that God, how does it say it right here? You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. Friends, God knows my heart. God knows your heart. Maybe this whole realignment process is gonna be an aha moment and gonna convict us for how we look at fellow Christians negatively. And that doesn't say anything about them. That says something about me. And so may God grant us a repentance, a true metanoia. And this is why this this whole realignment is about discipleship. It's about discipleship, you becoming more fully conformed to the image and character of Christ. This has been a little long. I did—I invited you to to watch and listen to the end, and I hope this has been beneficial. Please follow up with any other questions or comments, and we can address those as we get into next week, okay? I hope to see you on Sunday morning. I'll probably share some version of this as well on Sunday morning uh, in our pastor's class, but hope to see you there, okay? Let's pray. Lord, be pleased to expose our hearts to our own understanding. You see our hearts. Give us eyes, metanoia eyes, to see our own hearts and to see the darkness there, our love of money, our demonizing of the neighbor, and the ways that we would cloak that with the language of faith. Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins. Lead us to metanoia, to to repent and believe the good news And Lord, see us through this challenge that we are in as a a congregation as we pray in your holy name, even as you have taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God grant you eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that rejoices in the good news of the gospel. May he bless you this day and forevermore. Amen.